folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. I'm Chaneo Bumiker. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. What is up, Courtney? I was honestly surprised um, that we haven't already talked this week. I mean, it's Wednesday. They're on a Monday night schedule, so we had time. But there were some huge developments with this team on Tuesday. And all the alarms went off in my house when I found out that Austin Cutting went on the COVID-19 reserve list. I mean... You and I, as the resident long-snapping experts on this beat, that was, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was working till like 2 or 3 in the morning trying to figure out who the replacement long-snapper would be. I was on YouTube watching instructional long-snapping videos just in case I had to step in because there is a shortage of long-snappers. Both of us got a tweet from a former Iowa long-snapper who is yes. now a podcaster. That actually did happen, uh, mm-hmm. saying that he was ready to go. Um, I've had uh, my binoculars out just driving by random football fields to see if anyone is out there long snapping. And then we came to learn from our friend, Chris Thomason, this was not our scoop. And I'm disappointed in both of us that Jeff Overbaugh, who as anyone who listens to the show knows is a legend, um, is retiring. He's no longer trying to play in the NFL after a stint in the AAF and bouncing around a bunch of different teams. For those who don't remember, Jeff Overbaugh took over for Kevin McDermott in 2017 when McDermott got hurt and then went the wrong way on a long snap that uh, turned into a block punt in the Minneapolis Miracle game. He caught he, he caught as the Minneapolis Miracle. This is yes. one of my favorite. Um, I don't know if we've actually talked about this on Purple Insider yet, but it is my favorite story because without Jeff Overbaugh, Overbaugh, there is no Minneapolis miracle because then Breeze has a short field, goes down and scores, and then Kai Forbath in the field goal and the whole thing. I mean, Jeff Overbaugh caused the most historic moment of the last two or three decades for this team, and um, now he's not playing football anymore. Like, So it's not like the Vikings have this emergency list of long snappers that's like six or seven guys long. 
I, I guess they could bring back Kevin McDermott if they wanted to, but apparently cutting will be okay. He might have just been a close contact with somebody. Um, I guess he's still practicing and working out. I don't really know, like, what you do? Are you snapping to yourself? The like, one that's... job you could do by yourself, really. I mean, it's hard to play quarterback <laughs> by yourself. You need someone to run routes. But long snapping, I mean, just set up a trash can and long snap to it. And by the way, maybe do it a little better than you have the last two weeks, Austin Cutting. Uh, there's been some snafus there. Yeah. Um, but on, on the Overboss story where we found out what happened on the block punt was in the subsequent days where Mike Prefer revealed that Overball had gone the wrong way blocking. And so, yeah. yeah I think the blocking uh, call was blue, and he's like, I thought it was red. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he went the wrong way. Poor Emmanuel Lemur, God bless mm-hmm. him, got blamed for that by the Saints guy uh, who did the film film breakdown that you found. I mean, that's the entire reason we find this thing so funny is because this poor, like, linebacker who played for the Vikings and he was a great special teamer for them got just annihilated by this guy who did a Saints video breakdown and was just blaming him for everything when it's like, well, the long snapper went the wrong way. Now, the funniest part of this uh, came recently for me, the, or at least the most recent funny part of it was that I was on Jeff Overbaugh's Wikipedia and discovered that he was mentioned in the new iteration of the Roseanne show, whatever it's called now, the Connors, I think it's called. And there is an episode in which uh, John Goodman, one of the other characters buys him a game worn bears Jersey and the game worn bears Jersey is Jeff Overbaugh. And he says something like Overbaugh, who is that? Because, <laughs> because Overbaugh played one game for the bears as a fill in right. snapper. So he is famous uh, in, our world, and I guess um, uh, the rest of the world, too. Does he <laughs> so, get royalties for that or, like, an IMD, <laughs> IMDb so. notice? It's, I mean, it's in his wiki. That's good enough that you were mentioned on a national television show. So the whole world should know who Jeff Overbaugh is. I, um, If they can't have Austin Cutting as a long snapper, I'm sure they'll find someone else. David it's Morgan. Used, David Morgan was the tight – yeah, he, so I would assume maybe, what, Tyler Conklin? Like, the tight end – or a linebacker is typically the backup, backup, emergency long snapper. But, yeah, I mean, I think they'll be fine. I, you know, I can't wait to ask Zim about this, though, tomorrow. (laughs) Right. I can't wait for the answer on that. Uh, There's another big news item, by the way, which is that the Jaguars stole the Vikings' COVID kicker. Chase McLaughlin Mm -hmm. has been the guy that they've protected a couple of times as their backup in case Dan Bailey were to come in close contact with COVID and then they would have to bring in someone else. So they had Chase McLaughlin, who, by the way, I think in the fourth preseason game last year may have hit two field goals or something for Buffalo against the Vikings. And then he was briefly on the practice squad and then someone else signed him. And then they brought him back this year on the practice squad. And now he is a Jaguar. So inevitably Chase McLaughlin, because he came in close contact with the Vikings will shank a key field goal for the Jaguars when he comes to us bank stadium. I don't (laughs) think there's any way around that. No, I think you're exactly right about that. And it's kind of interesting, like how, you know, the special team snafus that Mike Zimmer talked about and, and the blocked punts. Um, it's the first time all season we've talked about special teams because Dan Bailey really hasn't had to kick a lot of field goals lately. Um, and then he missed the one, he missed the, I think he missed the extra point in um, week, week nine against Detroit. And 
it was just like really weird because all of a sudden special teams became the topic of conversation again. And we know that when that's the case in Minnesota, it's not a good thing. Um, It's never a great thing. So that was uh, kind of like a blast from the past there where Zim's savaging special teams in the uh, (laughs) press conference afterwards. Who did he miss? Wait, when did he miss the extra point? I don't remember this. Uh, It was was on on Sunday. Houston. No, he he missed it. He missed, did he one. miss one on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which one was that? I don't remember. I think it was the second touchdown. They were like up thirteen to three or thirteen zero at that point. It was right after Prater had missed a field goal. Okay. So we're just missing things left and right indoors. It's kind of weird. That was weird. Uh, Houston is when uh, Bailey missed a field goal. That's that's yes. what I was thinking. Yes. Of. Yes. Okay. So uh, now that we've gotten the important special teams updates out of the way. Uh, <laughs> what I wanted to get to on the show was that we are eight games in. Uh, that is a midpoint of the season, if anyone can't do their math. And we should talk about just how this has all worked out eight games through and then discuss the mystery of Soldier Field and see if we can figure out any particular reason that the Vikings have won four of their last 20 games at Soldier Field. So uh, let's start with the quarterback of the football team. That seems like a fair area. I don't know if we've discussed Kirk Cousins really at all, but uh, in grading Kirk Cousins, it's tricky because he's been super Kirk Cousins-y. Um, and games that they weren't supposed to win, they didn't win. Uh, there are a few where he played really poorly. There's a few where he gave him a chance, and there's a few where he's played really well. So if we're going to do the A to F thing, um, where would you put Kirk Cousins' performance through the first eight games? Um, I'd probably give him, because these last two weeks certainly helped his case, I'd give him a B minus, a C plus, B minus. Um, and I think that's a fair grade because, you know, there are a lot of people out there who think, who are a lot, who align with the, why are we paying this guy so much money to be a game manager in a lot of respects and to be somebody that you don't trust to win, to win a game on his own and, and somebody that you're so afraid of getting in a drop back game with, you're trying to scheme around that. Um, that's really no fault of Kirk Cousins because that's who he is. The Vikings just opted to make him their quarterback three years ago and then extend him. So he is what he is. Um, but I do think that the ups and downs early on weren't entirely on Kirk Cousins. Some mm-hmm. of the, you know, the play action dropbacks when you're backed up in your own end zone, like week one, that's on Gary. Um, the safeties weren't all on Kirk Cousins, uh, both in Indy and in, against Green Bay. I think he played decently well in kind of forming that comeback against Tennessee. But then again, it's the offensive line and the pass block in that, you know, he was under the highest pressure, third highest pressure rate of his career, I believe that game alone. And then he was pressured on like six of nine dropbacks on that final drive or the final um, in the fourth quarter, which is crazy. And he had a chance to win the game there. He didn't. So can you blame the offensive line? Yes. Can you blame Kirk? You probably should be able to. So I look at things like that, and I'm like, all right, where where could this have gone better? Uh, in Seattle, when Seattle goes up 21-0 to zero in like two minutes, you know, Kirk gets strip sacked. Is that on him? Yes. Is it also on Drew Samia? Yeah, it was. So I try not to go completely full-in blame on Cousins, and because I know people accuse you and I specifically of being Cousins haters and blah, 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 but it's like, you know, 
they found the happy medium. It took them the ha- first half of the season to figure out, okay, even in year two under Kubiak, Cousins isn't going to be terrific. Like, you can't just, you know, a zebra doesn't change his stripes nine years into the NFL or whatever it is for Kirk. I mean, he's been a starter since 2015. He's been in the league since 2012. Like, you know who this guy is. They're using him the right way. So, at least in these two games, I do question how that's going to work, though, because the Bears do have very good run defense. They're gonna ha- they're not gonna want Kirk to be in shotgun trying to like drop back thirty forty times to win this game because it's probably not gonna work even against the Bears who are not very good right now. So I think a B minus C plus is a fair grade for him, especially bolstered by the last two games and how he didn't turn the ball over, how he played within the boundaries of his role and didn't try to do too much against Green Bay and Detroit. I do think that the losses against Tennessee and Seattle, as much as they love to lean on them because they're close. Which yeah, I've one point, yeah. Snarked quite a bit about. I mean, what, Washington lost by two to the Giants the other day. Like, do you get a win for that? You know, I don't know. There's lots of teams lose lots of close games. They don't go along with bonus points for being close. But, you know, those losses, you have to look at the offense and say, why did Gary Kubiak, Rick Dennison, Mike Zimmer, whomever, start Drew Samia and not mm-hmm. play Brett Jones or not play Ezra Cleveland. Like maybe Ezra Cleveland wasn't ready, but Brett Jones knows how to play NFL football. And even just Brett Jones hanging on for dear life would have been better than a guy who ran the wrong way on a screen. It was like an overball tribute. Uh, Drew Samia running the wrong way on a screen. He just got beat every play. Um, it's the worst performance by an offensive lineman over several games that we've seen. I don't know that I've ever seen. I think by Drew Samia and to continue to play him after the way that it started being so poor, uh, I think it costs them. And I don't blame Kirk entirely for those games. At the same time, there's a chance to put away the Titans. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen. There's a chance to put away the Seahawks and it doesn't happen. And now when you look at the Seahawks, like, I, I mean, people are impressed with that, that game by the Vikings, but didn't Buffalo just put up like 7,000 yards against them in a single yeah. game. Like that is the worst defense in the NFL. And the Vikings were choosing to run the ball uh, all night long, rather than uh, create explosive plays in the passing game. Like, like every other team seems to do against Seattle. I, I saw that they're on pace to give up like 5,800 yards, which is would just shatter the record for most yards allowed by a defense. So that one's not super impressive either to give them the ball for free a couple of times. And it's sort of any eight-game distribution of Kirk Cousins, you will find a couple of great games. I thought the Detroit game, I thought he was great. Just fantastic. Every throw was right on and Mm -hmm. he played really well. Um, Green Bay is one of those where he didn't have to do much and you win. A lot of short passes and things like that, but he made the throws. And then you have a game against Atlanta that you lose because of Kirk. We've seen that every year, Mm -hmm. that there's the game you're not supposed to lose, but you lose because he just no-shows and turns the ball over. And then you have the, well, it might have been his fault, it might not have been his fault games. Like, it's just the most Kirk Cousins-y start to a season. And if you've got a little better defense, a little better this or that, uh, you probably win a couple more of those games. And it speaks to how much he's dictated and his success by what's going on around him. So, yeah, I agree with your grade that whatever is dead in the middle, like whatever is the most Kirk Cousins-y grade, which is probably C+, is what I would go with. Pro Football Focus has him as the 11th best quarterback, which, you know, they they grade the throws. So it's not like... And he's accurate, so of course. Like he's going to have a higher grade. 
Right. And when you hit Justin Jefferson at the end of a game, you're down by 20 on a huge throw. Like to us, we just go like, who cares? But, you know, PFF's going to grade it high because they're grading the throws. So uh, I don't even think we need to discuss Delvin Cook's grade. It's like an A+. plus. I, I don't know how it could possibly yeah. be better than it is right now, right? Yeah. No, I think that he's – you can't – like, I, I kind of wonder, because, like, he's he's done so much this year. Do you, you know, you know how, like, the NFL, like, we we know that the MVP award is the quarterback award, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, can, can you think of the last time, because I'm just trying to think, like, he deserves it. I really do think that, because this these last two games, this last two game stretch has been impressive. 478 whatever yards from scrimmage, five total touchdowns. Um, there's one player who put this team back on the verge of being in contention. And you can say, oh, well, they had Justin Jefferson all season long. He was terrific. He's a reason won games. Okay, great. Like, you could say, okay, well, Eric Kendricks, blah, blah, blah. Like, you, there's not one player who I think on this team has as much impact as Dalvin Cook does. But can you remember a time, A, you know, the last running back who won this was who? Was Adrian MVP? Peterson. Adrian no. Peterson in 12. In, yeah. in 12? But, like, can the MVP ever really go to somebody on like a losing team or a team that doesn't make the playoffs? Yeah, I just I'm not sure that it can ever really again go to a player who's not a quarterback. And in fact, I think they should just change it. <laughs> like they should have the quarterback of the year and then, you know, the MVP that does not play quarterback because it's great what Delvin Cook has done through the first half of the season. In terms of value, comparing him to Patrick Mahomes, it's not even any sort of competition, not even close. It's, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes has 116 quarterback rating, 25 touchdowns, one pick. Like, that's that's the easiest choice in the world for him to be the MVP over any running back, no matter how good they are. And yet, I agree with exactly what you said. Like the MVP of this team is Delvin Cook at this moment, and he's put himself in that conversation for most valuable player to his team, but it's just not going to be what Patrick Mahomes is doing when he's got 116 quarterback rating. No, and I mean, it's just so skewed one way. Like I I don't think he'll – I mean, he deserves it. And when we grade what he's done and how much fewer games he's played – than the rest of, you know, the running backs that are in contention for, you know, leading the league and rushing and everything else. I mean, Dalvin is a star. You see why they paid him. Um, and it's just, it, I think, more than just, like, what he's doing, it's, like, when he's not there, what they're not doing, I think, bolsters his grade, bolsters, you know, his importance, at least in my mind. So, A++, 100%. Um, there- and I and honestly, I know this is lame. I know you can't measure. There's no stats to measure heart, right? Oh, yeah, there you um, go. But I have not seen a leader like that in a really long time in covering football. Like, there's – it's never – I don't know. You don't really typically think of the running back necessarily as being, like, the guy mm-hmm. who, like, you know, all this time when they were losing, I, like, go back and I think of, like, what Dalvin, you know, when we're asking him about, hey, Kirk is this, Kirk is that um, – the message he had, like, sorry, Adam Thielen, you can read between the lines. When he says, yeah, we need to, you know, get open and give Kirk easy throws, that's a shot. I'm sorry. That is the passive, that's, that's kind of got a passive-aggressive tone to it, and you can tell when Adam's pissed. You can, because, he, and it's not like he's throwing Kirk under the bus, but there are subtle little things that you can take to, to, to gauge his frustration. Dalvin Cook has been steadfast for Kirk mm-hmm. Cousins of, like, you know, T.O., that's my quarterback. Um 
I don't think I've seen that from a player in covering this league for, for five, six years now that I really believed and even I was able to buy in of realizing, okay, this guy does support him because in that stuff that you can't measure, but that stuff that I think should be factored in to the overall body of work of a player who's an MVP caliber player, because, you know, this team had a chance to fracture completely and kind of mail it in and they didn't. And I think a lot of that honestly is like Dalvin Cook's leadership is, you know, I know that Mike Zimmer loves to talk about the captain thing and whatever, but like it really, he, he embodies that in, in ways where I just don't think other guys do. So there's two ways to look at this. Uh, I agree with everything you said. Delvin Cook's personality has been something that uh, I think was questioned when he came out of college, and then he quickly mm-hmm. proved that that wasn't going to be any sort of problem at all. And it tells you a lot about uh, one thing that can happen with a player, and we decide he's got character issues. and then, Red flags um, is right, what they call it. Right, and then that turns out not to be true. And people were saying you know, the different tropes of like, oh, it's the people around him. It's not exactly him. Like, man, you know, who knows how any of those things are going to play out when he gets to the NFL because he's been exactly what they dreamed he would be. The cynical view on Delvin Cook's great first half of the season, I'll give it to you. Uh, Number one is last year he had about this many yards, too, through eight games and then had 312 yards the second half of the season because he was banged up. So Mm -hmm. that is a thing to keep an eye on, having already one injury this year. And in terms of the MVP, that's part of it, too. It's like quarterbacks who win the MVP are going to play 16 games. I can't guarantee you that Delvin Cook is going to play 16 games at any point in his career. And you've got a running back who is playing at much higher level than anybody else in the NFL in your three and five it's like Mm -hmm. you know the the Kansas City Chiefs have problems they have a bad defense they have a bad offensive line they don't have a great running game and they're seven and one because their quarterback is killing it um, because you can overcome anything when you have the MVP quarterback that is not the case when you have the running back and we'll see how this plays out against Chicago because Chicago has always had the answer for Delvin Cook so yes a plus plus and he's the MVP of the team he makes life easier on Kirk Cousins whether it's the play action, just the attention that he gets, or, I mean, even more so to me, when you can throw a ball three yards in the air, have Delvin Cook catch it, and then just dodge a linebacker and run for 20 yards. Like, that's pretty Mm -hmm. darn helpful to a quarterback. Now, when it comes to the receiving weapons, I think I would also have to give them an A with the small asterisk of this team just does not use third and fourth wide receivers. They've gotten nothing no. from them, and they don't care about that. And, and uh, the emergence of Irv Smith as a great blocker has made a difference. Uh, Justin Jefferson, an instant star. Adam Thielen has played very well. I, I, I can't find a criticism for the skill group as long as we all agree that Chad Beebe and B.C. Johnson are just not part of this. No, and, and even Kyle Rudolph. I mean, he's been a, a non-factor because his usage ever since Kirk got here has gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there was any bigger indicator of that than Sunday when he dropped. He had like one catch, I think, in the first half. Um, and then, or in the first quarter, and then he dropped that one. It was like mm-hmm. either on second or third down. It was like went right through his fingers. And then Kirk goes to Irv twice in the red zone. And to me, it's kind of like that was the one moment that signified, okay, if you didn't think the writing was on the wall, if you didn't think Kyle Rudolph's time is coming to an end here in Minnesota, you didn't think that if you didn't think that Irv Smith had replaced him yet, there's your, there's your chance. Cause Irv had 10 receiving yards total. 
on Sunday. He wasn't like all over the field, like, you know, just, you know, breaking plays over the middle of the field, the security blanket that we thought he was going to be for Kirk, um, you know, running routes out of, you know, the slot, things like that, whatever. He's the red zone threat. He's the one that makes Kirk comfortable down there. And that was what Kyle Rudolph was for so long in this mm-hmm. franchise for many quarterbacks. Um, and I think that that's kind of what we're seeing the emergence of Irv now. Um, and this is why they drafted him. They drafted him to replace Kyle Rudolph eventually. Um, and I think that that just kind of further solidifies it. But really, you're right. Like, this team, this offense, when when you run a lot of two-receiver sets, you don't need a number three receiver. Right, so right. You, you, have, you have Adam Thielen, you have Justin Jefferson, and you have Irv Smith. That's pretty much it, and that's pretty much all you need from your skill guys. I want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. For all of you hunters out there, SodaStick has some very cool hunting gear available that you need to check out, including their Mick Golden Light hunting club hats that our pal Jeremiah Searles has been wearing lately on his excursions. All their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to also hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That is SOTASTIC, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. And uh, Irv Smith, I think, since his a little bit of a rough start to the season. Yeah. That, that game in Indianapolis was not good. A, a drop, a, a key penalty, Penalties, and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was he was not playing very smart early on. I think that... You know, in, in what was it, the Tennessee game when he played like 55% of snaps because they kept taking him off the field because he kept running the wrong route. Like, I think he kind of got a wake-up call uh, within himself and figure, he figured it out. Um, you know, that's just, I think, kind of what it was. And his usage was down, too. They weren't really, yeah. you know, his usage was down early on. They were trying to figure it out. And I thought that there were moments in some of the games. I did a film piece about this uh, in Tennessee where he was open. And I think that at least my guess was looking at the play design and where Cousins was looking that he was a target. But the rush was getting to Cousins so quickly that he was going to his checkdowns and not necessarily trying Mm -hmm. to get the ball to Smith down the field. But it's not just that he's been really successful when he's been targeted this year. 13 catches on 19 targets, 129.1 rating, 12 yards a catch, which is very good for a tight end. But what I like about him the most is just how much he cares about run blocking. So this last week, they used a lot of power run scheme, which is not what you expect from Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison. And that required a lot of pin and pull, which had Irv Smith turning a defensive end or turning a linebacker and allowing the puller to come through. And I just thought he did a great job with it. Not like, oh, the most dominant run blocking tight end I've ever seen. But when it's an undersized tight end who is more of a downfield threat, you don't expect Mm -hmm. them to be this good when it comes to the run blocking. And I think he's had a very big impact. And Mike Zimmer mentions every time the tight ends, the fullback, uh, that those guys have played a big role in Delvin Cook's success. And I think that's where you look at Smith and say, in terms of a future player you feel really good about, he's doing it all, not just catching the ball. No, absolutely. I think the run blocking is a huge part of it. And I go back to last year. Like I remember like there were some read between the line type comments of I'm tired of run blocking from, from Kyle Rudolph because he felt like he was better in the passing game and he thought Mm -hmm. he could contribute. But you just like, think about that first drive against, um, 
against the Lions last week, the one that like ended in, in Dalvin's touchdown. They used so many multiple tight end sets mm-hmm. all along the way. It was all like 22 personnel for, you know, the first, I'm trying to remember. I mean, it's mostly, they, they ran the ball a lot, but they were using 22 personnel. They were using some 23, I think, in there. Um, or certainly even some 12. Like, it was, it was a lot of multiple tight end sets, sometimes some like one receiver sets, which would have been 22. Um, and, and that to me just signifies that this is what this offense is predicated on. And we knew that. Now, is the whole notion that we thought two years ago when Gary Kubiak got here that the, you know, the, the, the number three receiver would be a tight end. Has that really panned out? Not in the way that you would like think immediately like, Oh yeah. Herb Smith is basically, you know, statistically wise, maybe it's there. I'd have to look at the numbers. I'm sure, I'm sure it is, but it's not like he, he stands out as that, but you're not anticipating this guy is going to be a six, 700 yard receiver this year, but he's going to contribute in key moments with like he did on Sunday. I guess uh, when projecting before the season, I wouldn't have said uh, that Justin Jefferson is an immediate superstar. So I probably would have thought they'd lean more on Irv Smith, but they Mm -hmm. don't have to Uh, Mm -hmm. by pro football focus, by the way, the Vikings have the number one receiving grade in the NFL. And that speaks to the performances of Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, who are both top five PFF wide receivers. And I, I think that that's very much deserved. And it's almost, funny to me how quickly we sort of move on like um when a player is up and down they're very interesting to talk about what was last game was good his game before that was bad with jefferson is like oh okay he's a superstar write that down and we can just all move on and because he's shown nothing in terms of uh any reason to hesitate in just calling him an immediate superstar He, he doesn't have any decided weakness or it doesn't seem like teams can take him away the only thing that takes the ball out of his hands is how much the vikings like to run yeah, and I mean, the one thing I think it was kind of interesting looking back to last week was how little, how much, how much less he was utilized than in previous weeks because, you know, is that the tide shifting that they're going to lean on the run game? Yes, but they can't do that every single week. So I'd anticipate Jefferson's usage to jump back up this yep. week in Chicago. Um, but, you know, when is that going to flip, do you think? Like with Thielen, Thielen was on the play – like. How many plays did they run last week? Like 52, 58, something like that. Like, Thielen was on the field a ton. Mm-hmm. And Jefferson was on the field, I think, uh, you know, 30-something snaps of that entire, of that entire um, you know, count. But, I, you know, I wonder, is that going to flip at some point? Because Jefferson gives you more. He gives you the downfield threat. He gives you, you know, the whole thing the whole package and, and Thielen is a, is an excellent wide receiver. Don't get me wrong, but I just think that Jefferson complete body of work wise, um, it's going to surpass him at some point. Yeah. I've got it. I've got it right here. So he, um, there were 58 plays on offense. Thielen was on the field for 50 of them. Jefferson was on the field for 35. So he only played 60% of snaps last week, which kind of jumped out at me when I looked at it. But then I'm like, well, they're running the ball a ton. Right. Um, you know, a lot of times they've got one receipt. When you're running 22 personnel, you have one receiver on the field. Um, and, and they run a lot of that. So mm. I guess it makes sense. It just kind of, I don't know, Just it was just something I thought about. kind of jumped out to me. And they used to do the same thing with Diggs sometimes. Sure. Where it would, Thielen would be out there. Maybe they felt, and I thought both of them were good blockers, and I think that Jeff, Jefferson's a good blocker, but maybe they felt like Thielen was a little better blocker to be out there in run-specific situations. That might be. 
uh, part of the reason or just that, you know, he's still considered the number one guy. Um, but, you know, if we were just to say this, and it's no disrespect to Thielen because he's a terrific receiver uh, and one of the best in the NFL, it's never not been the case. But if we were just to right now say rank all the players on the Minnesota Vikings, just like who the best players are, just best football players, rank them one through 53. Um, to me, it's hard to decide whether to pick Delvin Cook or Justin Jefferson with the mm-hmm. number one pick. I mean, yeah. I, I, re- I really think that his skill set is that impressive. And to come in, catch 34 passes through the first half of the season and average 18 yards a catch in a season where you didn't get an off season at all and you had to sit basically the first two games, uh, that to me is, is really impressive and really telling about his talent. Um, yeah. Grade the offensive line through the first yeah. eight games. This one, this one I think is hard, actually, to put an exact grade on it. And, and it, when I think about like how things like regress to the mean and um, you know how if you were to give them a grade for the last two weeks, it's going to look vastly different from where they were weeks one through three, things like that. Um, where does that where does it kind of like level out? I think a C grade, maybe a C of uh, C plus, has been aided by the run blocking the last two weeks. You know, there's a reason they didn't trade Riley Reese. Um, when they had the chance to, I think, you know, NFL Network reported that, you know, the most obvious freaking thing in the world that Tennessee had inquired about him, who's only been saying that since, I don't know, September, good Lord. Um, anyways, not trading Riley Reef allowed them to keep some stasis on the offensive line because you just throw yourself into another tailspin. Like if you actually think you can be competitive here in the second half, which they do, and I will only buy into that if they win in Chicago. To me, that's the, that's the crux of it. Um, You don't get to be that if you're moving on from Riley Reef, moving Cleveland over to the place he's going to play next year. And then having Drew Samia or Pat Elfline, if he comes back ever uh, playing at right guard, like, you know, they made a smart decision for now. I'm not saying it's a smart decision long term, but to keep the offensive line the way it is, because their tackle play has been really, really good. Brian yes. O'Neill is like 12th right now of all tackles, which is excellent. Um, and I think I saw PFF had Reef, you know, somewhere in like the 30s or 40s. Like he's an av- above average left tackle, and he's played really good. He's actually like in a career year right now. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best, one of the best years he's had since he was drafted by Detroit. Um, so Garrett Bradbury's been playing a lot better. Ezra Cleveland, the fact that he is able to not be a complete train wreck playing a position on the other side of the line he's never yes. played before, that shows me that they made a, a smart call with, you know, moving him to right guard. I don't know why uh, they didn't keep him at left. Uh, they didn't keep him at left guard. Um, once again, they don't want to throw things into a tailspin. So. There's some, there are a lot of positives that I look at here, but I still think a C grade for this unit um, is fair just because of all of the ups and downs that they went through weeks one through six. It reminds me a lot of uh, when I was in college, and for the first half of the semester, I didn't do any of the homework or study mm-hmm. for any of the tests. And then midway through, the professor says um, – <clears throat> you right now are going to fail the course. And then you say, oh, okay, <laughs> well, uh, let me just study for the next couple of tests, do the homework, get a couple of A's, balance that thing out, and then we end up on a C. Uh, I'm good with your grade. It was 
a D minus for the first six weeks of the season, though. And then the last two weeks have brought up that grade because I studied for the final. Uh, and then Ezra Cleveland has just been such a huge difference maker. And it tells you how one weak link can really destroy the whole thing. Because even all of a sudden, Dakota Dozier looks a little better with a right guard mm-hmm. who is competent. I agree with you that it says a lot about Ezra Cleveland to be able to step into a position that's totally foreign to him. And when uh, the Vikings had both Brian O'Neill and Ezra Cleveland pull on the same play uh, against the Lions, I was like, oh, that might be a thing that actually turns into a weapon for you. I know, right? Him on the right side next to Brian O'Neill, and I might not even hate it for the future. I mean, if he's a left tackle, that's way more valuable. But if they see him as a guard, well, you can do a lot of things just – Leave him there if if he's fine with right guard playing next to uh, Brian O'Neill. But um, they can be a lot better than a C going forward, I think. But as you said, Chicago has the real deal. They have the Khalil Mack. They have the Akeem Hicks. This is not Detroit with washed up Everson Griffin, Danny Shelton, like guys who just you know couldn't create pressure if nobody was blocking. So um, you Nick know. Yeah, I mean, it's just like this is not an impressive team at all. And Green Bay, that was weird. They just no-showed entirely, and the Vikings ran all day. So, okay, well, now if you're put in some of those drop-back situations that got you in so much trouble earlier, does Garrett Bradbury hold up? Does Dakota Dozier hold up? Does Riley Reef look as good? Because I can't think of the best edge rusher that Riley Reef has faced this year. Like, has there been a guy that we've said, uh-oh, this is going to wreck your game plan? It's been a couple of interior rushers, but not necessarily mm-hmm. – I mean, Zadarius Smith, I guess, would sure, be – Sure, that's prob- honestly, that's probably it. I can't – I'm, like, scrolling through my brain right now. Indy didn't have anybody that was that impressive. No, it was Buckner um, on the inside, right. Yeah, and, I mean, that's that's where he – they have a good they have a good interior there, and so do the Bears, too. I mean, that's – you know, when you're trying to draw comparisons of, like, how can this – you know. What might this game look like? I think it could actually look a lot more like that Indianapolis game when yes. you think about it. I, kind of crazy. Yep. I agree because now they're going to face guys who are all pros, and that's where the true test will be. So it's kind of like uh, incomplete for the offensive line for yes. this grade because the, okay. final, the final got pushed back. It was snowed out or whatever, you know, so um, – Let's just let's do front seven and then uh, the whole defensive backfield to make it a little more tricky. Uh, because I think if we did defensive line, it would be pretty obviously a very low grade. But if we include yeah. defensive line and linebackers, how would you evaluate that? Uh, I mean, the linebackers have carried so much of the weight. I mean, Eric Wilson is playing out of his freaking mind right now. Eric Kendricks coming off a 2019 All-Pro season, I think he may be playing better than he did last year. Yes, he doesn't have the pass defended, passes defended numbers like um, what did he have like 12 pass, 12 PBUs last year, led yeah. the league. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because the play like against uh, um, Devonte Adams, the the one that you know. Yeah. He didn't get counted for a because that bounced off um, Adams Adams outside shoulder, and he got a hand in there. But he's the reason that happened because he was running in stride with him. Mm-hmm. He gave him no space to make that catch. But that doesn't count as a PBU, you know. So it's right. like statistically, if you're just looking at the stat sheet, you're not going to see the same numbers. But I honestly think he is playing better than he did last year because we didn't really kind of see that come on or at least nationally, he didn't take on that same role until really the Chargers game, I think. Like, people actually started giving him his credit right around then. Yeah. Um, so those two specifically, because Anthony Barr's been out, um, 
and some of the weaknesses that they've had on the defensive line, some of the blitzing situations that has been relied on for the linebackers because of the inability to pressure and, you know, unique and Gakwe stuff and, you know, just, just the, 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 the mess that the defensive line has been this year. If, if the linebackers can like bolster that grade, I B minus maybe. Is that line, fair? I just the, feel like I I feel like I'm really hard on the linebacker on the um, defensive line this year, but I don't really know any other way to be because they're, you know, it's a product of circumstance, right? Daniel Hunter's not there. Michael Pierce is not there. They lost yep. two guys from last year. Like we knew this was going to be a very rough year for the uh, defensive line, but it kind of didn't feel like they started to adjust to that until after the bye. So I, I think your linebacker grade is probably dragging them up a little bit too high. I might go with something more like a C, uh, as great as Kendricks has been mm-hmm. and as much of a turnover machine as uh, Eric Wilson has been. They are 30th in pass rush grade by Pro Football yes. Focus. Uh, their pass rush has been non-existent. These developmental players, well, they've been playing better recently. Welcome to the football season, Armand Watts, over the last two weeks. Absolutely. Nice, nice to see you because this was the Armand Watts we thought was going to show up for the whole year, and uh, he just arrived in the last two weeks. But aside from that, I mean, if we go player by player, there's been improvement, but Jalen Holmes hasn't done anything for you to say, oh, man, you get, he's just going to keep growing and growing. Um, Jaleel Johnson's been one of the poorest players at his position in the entire league yeah he actually had a good he had a good week in Detroit that's the only time I can say wow because that third down that third and one um inside the inside the five yard Mm -hmm. line like like he he helped that he he really showed up there and that's the only play I can think of the entire season where I'm like wow Jaleel Johnson yeah, right. And again, sort of welcome to the to the season. Um, but you know, like you Pretty said, hard. I mean, some of these guys are backups. But if we're just evaluating them on, you know, what they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to perform, and and what their uh, job is, um, it hasn't been good. I mean, right now, so out of sixty seven guys who play regularly at defensive tackle. Pro Football Focus grades Jaleel Johnson 61st. So that's not going particularly well uh, overall. And just yeah. their inability to get anybody who can really pressure. Like they've liked some things DJ Wanham has done, but he hasn't really pressured the quarterback that often. Um, he gets the great play in Green Bay as Rodgers is rolling out for a Hail Mary. But aside from that, it's not like a regular thing that he's getting a lot of pressures. And their best sack guy now plays for the Baltimore Ravens. So, I mean, I, I think uh, Shamar Stefan has done okay. Like, He's been the fill-in nose tackle that you would have expected. But overall, if you're ranking all the defensive lines in the league, this one is bottom three, bottom four. Um, yeah, it's not very good. But we knew, like, no, nobody expected them to be that great this year. After all the stuff that happened, and once you realize you weren't going to have Daniel Hunter, like, this is what you expect. Like, I don't, I don't understand how anybody could have thought it could have gone differently. And I guess we have to use the same uh, way of grading if we're doing the secondary as a whole. Yeah. Because um, Harrison Smith has been all pro. And Anthony Harris, I think, has been fine and maybe hasn't gotten the opportunities to pick off passes. But the corners, there's no grade you can give them that is an F. I'm sorry. There's just not. I, I don't care would what you, they would did against you give the it an, Would you give it an incomplete? Because I thought about that. When you said incomplete for the offensive line, yeah. that was going to be my grade that I was going to give the entire secondary because they've had eight players put line up at cornerback. They're signing dudes yeah. off yeah. the street. I don't even know who the guy they signed on Monday, the one who was like, <laughs> was you at the Dolphins practice squad? I honestly couldn't tell you. I go out to practice, and I have my binoculars, and sometimes, you know, usually when I keep attendance – 
if there's numbers I don't recognize, I'm like, oh, you know, probably practice squad. Um, you know, I don't, right. I don't keep practice squad attendance as heavily as I would everybody on the 53. But then, like, I'm looking down at my roster the other day. I'm like, man, I'm missing some numbers. Like, who the hell is this? Like, I just, <laughs> you know, that that's that's honestly probably the Vikings. Like, when they see guys walk in, like, to the to the you know position like meeting room for defensive backs, they're probably like, who are you? Right. Like, eight guys playing cornerback, four players have lined up to play safety. That's a lot. No wonder they have the 30th pass defense in the NFL. Like, so, let, let me say this though: the injuries to me are a factor, not necessarily Hunter or Pierce but are a factor in grading you when some of the guys needed to stay healthy. I mean, Mike Hughes needed to stay healthy. Mike Hughes needed to stay healthy. And and Dantzler too. I mean, one of the concerns that we had about Cam Dantzler was that he's just not very big in his frame and injuries could be a problem. Now one is bad luck, but the other was a rib injury. He plays one game and he, and he has to miss more games. And when you go through these numbers, it's super bad. Uh, Mike Hughes win targeted when he was playing 120 quarterback rating against Jeff Gladney, 131 mm-hmm. Cameron Dantzler, 133 Chris Boyd, 136. I yeah, mean, it's, it's terrible, right? They are turning quarterbacks into hall of famers when they're facing this group. So yeah, I would say it's an F so far. It doesn't have to remain an F would be the way I'd put it, but I can't give it anything except for that because even the guys who are supposed to, uh, be decent fill-ins like Chris Boyd. I mean, they've really struggled outside of the one nice play against Detroit. It's like, this is what we're saying a lot is, well, you know, outside of Detroit game where yeah. everyone was great, um, that has been, uh, you know, that's been a major issue. So um, last last one here, and then we can talk about the Bears mystery. Coaching, what would you give the coaching as a whole hmm. in terms of grade? Probably in the C plus range because I think about some of the things that Mike Zimmer has talked about where, you know, he could just be kind of bolstering his case of, look, I'm telling them what to do. They're not doing it mm-hmm. um, with like, you know, they're singing in production meetings right now being like, look guys, the corner, look broadcast team, the cornerbacks, we're telling them what to do when you go ahead and analyze, when your analyst is like, yeah, why is Jeff Gladney's eyes way up the field when he should be on Devontae Adams, things like that. Um, that's not necessarily on coaching. I think it's probably safer to blame the player in that way. But then again, you have to modify what you're doing. And I think Mike Zimmer summed it up perfectly on Monday that he told his defensive coaches, you know, we're doing some of the best coaching, hardest coaching job we've ever done, and we're still giving up 400 yards a game. So, you know, they're making the adjustments. It's small. It's marginal stuff that it's not going to jump out to the average football fan right away because you're still going to see, again, box score. Like Zimmer said, you're still going to see a team giving up 400-plus yards a game. Um, But can we see marked improvement? Mm -hmm. Jeff Gladney had a really good game. It was Detroit, though. It was Detroit. And he (laughs) still allowed five passes. Um, And he still, you know, is having issues in coverage and, and you know the passer rating against and, and all that stuff but can we can, is there anything that will give you hope that this guy's going to be a good player I think when you look at it like that and just realize what's also like context is everything here he's playing multiple positions yeah. he's stayed yeah. healthy when nobody else has in the secondary so I think that's important to to consider and the way that Zimmer's been able – this is the toughest test. I don't care what anybody says. This is the toughest test of Mike Zimmer's career, these young corners. Because mm-hmm. they could cost him his job either now or later. I don't mm-hmm. think – I think he will be fine this year. But that's how I look at it. And, you know, big picture-wise with the offense, you know, 
there were so many of us were like, okay, does Gary still have it? Like what's right. going on the first four games of the year? And yep. you know, stuff takes time, but it, it, I don't think people want to buy into the, well, we needed time for this, this thing because you, 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 you boasted offensive continuity all off season long and then you don't see that take shape. That's a disappointment. So I think a C, C plus is, is fair. I'm not trying to like be like everything's average here, but they are an average football team. They're three and five. Like, I don't really know how to how to get around that. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I think that Zimmer's adjustments on the defense have been good, as we would have expected. Um, I think that even Gary Kubiak's adjustments on offense have been good over these last few weeks. Uh, at the same time, they got behind the eight ball because, in, in part, in week one, Mike Zimmer tried to play his defense that mm-hmm. Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes would have been fine in, but Jeff Gladney and Cam Dantzler and uh, Holton Hill were not fine in, in that type of situation. So I think that you do deserve to be dinged in some instances. You got murdered by the Atlanta Falcons. Like, that has to be on you for going up against a team with no wins that just fired their coach, and you get destroyed. And uh, the idea of trying to throw down the field all the time, where even Kirk Cousins said, yeah, we've got to hit some more singles. We've got to have more short passes that succeed. And then making that adjustment is good. But I think that they got behind the eight ball for this season, in part because of coaching. And now they're having to coach really hard, like you mentioned, to be able to get back into this race. And we will truly see how that coaching matches up against Chicago. So um, speaking of which, let's wrap up on this. Why do they lose all the time in Chicago? Figure it out. I have many theories. Okay, all right. Like you said, since 2000, they have won four games at Soldier Stadium. That's what I used to call it as a kid growing up in Chicago. I thought it was Thought it was Soldier Stadium. It's going to be Soldier Stadium for me forever. Um, first off, the field conditions there are horrendous. Yes. Why? Because the Chicago Park District is what takes care of the grass there at mm-hmm. Soldier Field. That's a problem, in my opinion. That should never be that way. I don't understand why that is. I, I'm, I don't probably have time to go into it, but like – Harrison Smith has always talked about that. He's like, I don't want to be critical of field conditions, but usually it's pretty bad there. Um, That's one of the places where they wear the longer cleats. The field's always frozen. It's a mess. Um, So, yeah, that's one thing. Uh, The second thing is think about when a lot of those games have been in recent times. 2017, Monday, uh, Monday Night Football. Different team then. Um, That's the one that they won, but that was a Monday night game. 2018. Sunday night football. That's when Kirk had the deer and headlights look and overthrew Kyle Rudolph through a pass right to Bryce Callahan. Last year, 2019, America's game of the week. All the pressures on this team after, um, you know, the first three weeks of the season. And that's where you get Kirk checking down to the fullback when he's got Diggs and, and Thielen open 30 yards downfield. So is it the primetime jitters? Maybe. I also think some of those games when they've played them, have come at a really weird time in the schedule where it's kind of make or break for them. That's how it was in 2018. That's what, you know, sparked the losing streak. And honestly, that's what sparked the end of John Filippo's career here in Minnesota because it was it was Bears, it was Patriots, it was Seahawks. That stretch mm-hmm. there was brutal for them. Uh, Green Bay was in there, but they won. That was at home. Um, but But even still, like, kind of when these games have been, the implications on these games, the way that the Bears upgraded that roster in 2018 to where Vikings realized immediately you can't just leave a tight end on Khalil Mack. Um, You know, I think a lot of that factors into it. And it's just this stadium, like 
you know, I, I tried to be coherent and give you like logical reasons to think, okay, this is why this place is terrible. Um, I don't know. Is there a ghost? Even though sports took a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that means hiring is more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gets you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search better. That much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. And with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action with Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, and futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Even when you go there, even when you go there to cover the game, it's a little creepy outside. It just has this, like, I mean, uh, war memorial type of thing, right? I mean, what what was it? Uh, I mean, it's called Soldier Field. And for, just... for the for the soldiers who died in World War One, Right. Because so it... it's, it's like that the columns that are there, there's a lot of history behind it. Because at the University of Illinois, their memorial stadium is built the same way. Hmm. Um. And you'll remember the Bears, when they were updating Soldier Field, Soldier Stadium, uh, in like the mid, I want to say it was at the, uh, when was that? They were, yeah, it was like mid-2000s, early 2000s. They played at Memorial Stadium at the University of Illinois when Soldier Field was going under renovations. I mean, the place looks like a spaceship. Like, you know, it's just a weird place. It is a weird place. (laughs) Yeah, it's just got this kind of haunting, eerie type of feeling. You make a good point that the pressure is often on the Vikings when they go to face the Chicago Bears, and just by the sort of chance randomness that that ends up being the case. So the things I would point to, number one, is that they have the Vikings kryptonite. Like what's hurt a team that consistently cannot figure it out on the offensive line is a team mm-hmm. that consistently has a great defensive line. And in recent years, that's been the case quite a bit. Um, in terms of other things, I think just division opponents tend to know you better. Like, you beat Green Bay and Lambeau, and I don't think any of us were shocked by that. Like, none of us thought, oh, yeah, they'll definitely win. But it's like when you know a team so well, there's always the chance that you just play better than them. And now going back to, like, Chad Hutchinson beating the Vikings, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> that that has to be a ghost. Like, then there's no other way well, around I mean, Ch- it. Chase Daniel beat them last year. Yeah, 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 right. And 
That I mean, that was a super weird game, too, where Stephon Diggs decides he's skipping practice after that because he's so frustrated. But at least in that instance, you could look at it and say the ability to stop the run with three or four people on the front defensive line is the reason that the Chicago Bears always make it so tough. And a mm-hmm. lot of times they've taken it away some of the deep shots and downfield passes that the Vikings kind of rely on, and they have just eliminated Delvin Cook. Delvin Cook has not existed in games against the Bears, and we know what it does to this offense when Delvin Cook is taken out of the game. So I think all those things play in. Um, I know the game isn't until next Monday, but are you going to pick the Vikings to win it? I don't know yet, and I think I'm going to give myself the time to think about that. Um, they could, I mean, whoever they name as long snapper could be the difference here. I mean, really, like they got to figure out the long snapping thing, and then everything else. Yeah, then we can talk. In, in, into place, in my opinion, I think that that's kind of what's going to, you know, that'll spark everything else. But in all seriousness, what is their plan when the Bears inevitably look at how hard the Bears made it on Derrick Henry last week, and that was a bad loss for Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Um, how? When they inevitably, because some team's gonna figure it out, when they stop Dalvin Cook at some point, do you, what's your what's your what do you rely on? Because right. you what's don't want to get into a drop back game with Kirk Cousins. That doesn't work. We found that out, um, and they found that out multiple times in Chicago. Can't can't do that. Well, what does it look like? Does it look like what? Can you help me here? Because I can't figure out what it looks like yet. Like who's involved? What does the passing game be, be like become? Are you just like running screens the whole time? Like because inevitably they're going to take away Dalvin Cook. Yep. You have to anticipate that. Like they're they're very good run defense, but then what? Then what is we find out how good Justin Jefferson is? I guess. Yeah, I, I, mean, gu- I guess. Or well, they have to have short answers though. I mean, that was the the reason they won in 2017 um, with Case Keenum coming off of the bench was that Pat Shermer flipped the switch and started going to short passes, and they had to methodically move the ball down the field, and then they broke one big play. But that might be what they make you do. And it's a different guy running their scheme now, but it's the same sort of deal, is they just don't want to give up big plays, and that's what the Vikings offense relies on, is just explosive plays, explosive runs from Delvin Mm -hmm. Cook, explosive throws on, on play action deep down the field. I think what takes away the play action, too, is just penetration. And when you have Khalil Mack, I mean, that guy, he's good at stopping the run, but he's worried about getting your quarterback. So I think when you have guys who are not worried about Delvin Cook and are more worried about just annihilating your quarterback, those play actions, you drop way back, Khalil Mack wins in one second, and then you get into trouble. And we saw that um, to start the second half last year. They're still in the game, and then Khalil Mack comes right out and gets a strip sack. So that's the – it's always been a long theory that one guy can completely wreck a game. And a lot of times in 2016, it was Pernell McPhee who was Mm -hmm. injured a lot, but when he was out there, he was really good. He wrecks the game. And it's been Khalil Mack. It's been Akeem Hicks. And Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack are both in the top six at their position in pressures. That's yeah. where the game's going to be decided, I think. And Hicks didn't even play last year in that game at Soldier Field. Remember, he was yep. hurt. And I think mm-hmm. Roquan Smith didn't even play in that game either because there was yep. some weird thing going on with him. But um, they're in a weird – they're in like a – that's why I think when we look at, okay, is this team back? Because I think rightfully so, Vikings fans, to my – temperature checking have been gauging this as like we're not ready to say we're back yet um agree the defense has shown an improvement but are they back I don't know yet I don't think we're going to be able to do that 
steal a line from the late Denny Green, we're not going to be able to crown them until they win this game. <laughs> because, I agree. Yep. Because this game will tell me everything I need to know about did they make the right gamble on themselves by not trading away anybody at the deadline, by keeping this unit together, by thinking they can still be competitive in 2020. You have to win this type of game. Because um, if not, you're three and six and – you know, your chances, they're, they're less than, they're like a 24% chance team to make the playoffs as it is right now. Um, you can't, you can't afford to like lose a game like this. Right. As you go to three and it's pretty much over. Yeah. And so as hard as that is, like it's necessary. Okay. Well, I am very excited about this. This is the first time since a while where we can break down a game and just talk about the game that's happening because it means something as opposed to spending all of our time on who the quarterback will be in 2023. Uh, so, Courtney, I'm looking forward to this one, and I feel I feel bad for you, though. I assume you're not traveling back to your hometown, or are you? I am not. Uh, we are not traveling to any road games yeah, this year. But, um, you know, I'm not going to miss the RC Cola. Um, oh, the press box food is the worst in the league. In and Chicago, the, like, soupy barbecue-looking thing and the crappy gyros. Like, I mean, Chicago is an excellent foodie city. How Soldier Field gets it wrong every time in the press box remains a – that's another great mystery to me. And also the, the – some people say, oh, it's great. You're in the corner of the end zone. You can see everything. That is one of the worst vantage points to watch yes. a game in the NFL. And the press box is closed, which, I mean, good for wintertime. But also um, the general manager of the Vikings sits right behind the media. Yes. And that can be uncomfortable as you're tweeting things that aren't going well about the team. Like, looking <laughs> over your shoulder. Are you looking at my tweets? <laughs> just, and then, like, Rick is back there trying to mute his reactions. It's just like, oh, why didn't you run the ball? And what, what, you know, things like that. But he doesn't want to yell because he's obviously in the press box with everyone else. So it's a very uncomfortable press box. It's very quiet. If one person talks at regular room level of talking, uh, everyone can hear you. So yeah. you kind of have to whisper, like, why didn't they run mute the your, all the time? Mute, yeah. mute yourself a little right. bit. It's it's very, very awkward. Uh, and the last time I met up with a friend in Chicago and had a split a deep dish pizza before the game. And by about the first quarter, I was ready to pass out and take a big, long nap. So it's, I've, never, I've never really made that trip a good one. Got caught in traffic once in an Uber and just, you know, got carsick. I don't know. It's it's never it's been a, a lot. It's a great it's, city. It's, it's not, not exactly an easy. It's not exactly an easy place to get to, um, right. if you don't already have a car. That's the one thing because people think, like anybody who's never been to Chicago or been there. It's, it's not like downtown, like on Michigan Avenue. It's you know right off Roosevelt, right off you know Lakeshore Drive, and so it's kind of a difficult spot to get to because cars can't really get in there. Like you're trying to get. Remember what was it two years ago or was it last year after? the game when when you were either flying out or I was flying out or one of it you couldn't get the uber yes yep like oh yes that was me with the like, uber and I ended up having to walk like way away from the stadium to this random intersection at, at two o'clock in the morning because it was yeah. a night game and then the lady who picked me up was like 70 years old I she, remember that she couldn't get the dome light to go off she missed our exit <laughs> Uh, yeah, traveling um, for covering games is not exactly the same as 
planning your vacation, I wouldn't say. So there's Not a lot of things that go into it. Anyway, well, uh, we will talk again following that game, and we'll know whether we're talking about the route to the playoffs or, once again, back to skull-searching for quarterbacks. So thank you for your time, as always, Courtney.